Happy Father's Day to all the fathers, fathers in the room and everybody watching online. Happy Father's Day. We are so glad that you are with us this morning. It's a good day to be at church. It's a good day to be a father. And uh, I'm glad that you're here because I've got a Father's Day message for you that I hope is going to encourage you to be a better father, okay? But I'm going to warn you from the get-go, I'm going to talk about how sometimes our fathers let us down. And then we're going to look at a father who did let his sons down, and we're going to look at a father who does not let his sons down, okay? And it's that last father I want to talk about today that I hope encourages you to be a better father. So stick with me this morning. We're going to do a little bit of a character study uh, of some fathers. And so I, I realize that even though it's Father's Day, that may not be a day for joy for everybody, okay? I realize there are some people that may not have a great relationship with their father. And uh, maybe you don't even know who your dad is. Or maybe you thought you knew who your dad was, and then you found out later, it turns out it's somebody else. It's a different dad. I told a story a while back of a friend who did one of those ancestry DNA tests. You know those? Maybe you've taken one. And she found out that she had a different dad than she thought she did her entire life. And it was just a crazy story. It was like, the mom was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot to tell you, you know, and it, it was wild, you know. But what's even crazier is since I heard that story, these stories are becoming pretty common. That, it, it, it's not a unique experience. And I think this is absolutely crazy that so many people are finding out that they actually have different dads than they thought they did. As a matter of fact, uh, do you remember... Do you remember uh, Phil Robinson from that Duck Dynasty show? Yeah. I, was, I was on the YouTube uh, the other day, and I was going down the YouTube rabbit hole. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but you go on there and you watch one video, and maybe you're even being productive. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You're trying to figure out how to take apart your oven door to clean the inside of the glass. And so you're, you're trying to be productive. But then what does it do? That It suggests you another video they think you'll like. And you say, oh, okay, yeah, I'll watch that. And then another one, and then another one. And before you know it, you've wasted so much time, and something wakes you up out of the, the stupor that you're in, and you're like, I've got to get some actual work done. I've got to stop doing this. Well, I was in one of those tirades of time-wasting, and uh, a video about Phil Robinson pops up, and there are the Duck Dynasty guys. And there's this woman on there, and I'm like, hey, I remember those guys. And I click on it, and I watch it. And it turns out, before he got saved, he had a daughter with a, another woman and neither one of them knew they existed. And so here it is, one of these stories exactly like, like I'm talking about. 44 years later, she takes a DNA test and come to find out Phil's her father. And what I loved so much about the video, and really the reason I bring it up, is how welcoming they were to this stranger who is now a daughter. And didn't even have to be adopted, just welcomed in and with open arms and, and made her part of the family. And so I thought that was so cool. And so you can, uh, you can link to that if you're online. If you're online, don't, don't click off right now, okay? Wait till after the service. But if you're here with us, check that out after. I thought it was really sweet, sweet video. But you know, um, we all have dads, but unfortunately not all of us have great dads. You know, throughout the years of ministry, especially focusing with uh, students, I've been so sad to see how many students grow up without a dad in the home or, or have very limited contact with their dads. And what saddens me even more is when 
uh, those numbers grow over time, and it just breaks my heart. But you know, even for those of us who had a dad at home, I'm sure you've got some memories of when your dad let you down, and those are really hard memories. Just because we all have dads don't mean we have a great experience with our dad. And like I said, this is not a great way to start a Father's Day message, okay? Talking about how dads can let us down. And I'm not going to hate on dads today, but I want to acknowledge the reality of the shortcomings of our fathers. And I want to also focus on a good example of a dad. And I want us to be inspired for all us dads in the room to be better dads this morning. So I want to journey through scripture with you this morning, and I want to look at a couple stories, and really what I want to do is I want to do a character study with you this morning of two fathers and a total of three different sons. And so we're going to do an overview of scripture this morning, and we're going to look at these, these two fathers and these three sons, and I'm going to just kind of go give you their life story a little bit this morning. Uh, if you are on the Bible app, we put all the scripture references for everything we're going to talk about in the Bible app today, but you're not going to see a lot of that on the screen this morning. You have the responsibility to go and read this and make sure I'm not lying to you this morning, okay? I want you to read your, your word, all right? And so uh, the first dad I want to talk about had two sons, and he loved both his sons, but his sons had some tough memories about their dad. They didn't always have a good experience with their dad. And both these sons, as a matter of fact, had the right to grow up with some baggage. And so if this morning you've come into this place and you've got some baggage from your dad, you are not alone. But we're going to talk about a dad that you will not have baggage with later on this morning. Okay? First this morning, I want to take a few moments and do a character study of Abraham, the father of our faith. And his relationship with his two sons. And, and we forget sometimes that he has two sons. We focus a lot on one of the sons, but not the other. If you remember, his name started out as Abram, and God called him to, uh, to go and to go to the promised land and be blessed, and he renames him to Abraham. And Abraham, or Abram, he literally carries this mantle his entire life, and it becomes a legacy of this idea of being a father. As a matter of fact, Abram literally means exalted father. And Abraham literally means father of many. And, and so he, it shouldn't come as a surprise to us that part of his legacy is being the father of our faith. He's the father of faith. And so this morning as we talk about Father's Day, I want to talk about Abraham, Abram, the same person. And I want to talk about his relationship that he had with his two sons and how that relationship was not always good. And then we're going to point to another father this morning who does have a good relationship with his sons. So God calls Abram to leave his homeland and become a nomad and go on a journey to the place that God is gonna give him, some, some real estate that's divinely appointed and God's gonna give him and he's gonna bless him and he's gonna make him the father of many nations. And Abraham, Abram at the time was on board with this, 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 this strategy, the plan. He was on board with it. He was like, okay, I'm going to go. He does. He leaves his family. He becomes a nomad. He, he goes and God does begin to bless him. And he, he's on board for that. But there was one part that was going to be a little bit of challenge. And that was the father of many nations. Because even when Abram was called by God, he was old. His, his wife and he were old. He was 75 years old when he was called by God. His wife, Sarai, was 67 years old. And I think we can all agree that's a little late to start a family. 
If there's anybody in your 60s or 70s in the room this morning, just think about having a baby. Think about that for a minute. Listen, I, <laughs> I'm only 36 years old, and sometimes having a baby is a little overwhelming. So I can't imagine being double my age and having a baby. As a matter of fact, I mean, it's a little late to start a family when you're 67 years old. The doctors even told Amanda and I at 35, hey, you know, you're a little older to be having a baby. And we're like, what? Are you serious? They acted like we were, you know, geriatric or something. But Abraham, Abram was double my age, more than double my age, and God promises him a huge family. And so what happens? About 10 years go by, and Abram and Sarai don't see any progress in the baby making. And so they get a little impatient. They hatch a plan that for their time would be considered a little like surrogacy. I've got a friend who was actually a surrogate parent, and and that was an amazing story. Uh, and, And at that time, this would be considered surrogacy, but when we read it today, it's, it's a little sticky, it's a little tough to read, because for our modern sensibilities, it, it, it's not like surrogacy. What happens is Sarai has a servant or a slave named Hagar and comes up with the bright idea that she, Hagar and Abram, should have the baby, and that's how God's going to fulfill this plan. And Hagar's a slave, she doesn't have any say in the matter, she just does what her master says. And so for us today, we read that and we're like, ooh, that's, that's sticky, that's rough. Um, for them, it would have been a little like surrogacy. Now, if you still have a really hard time with that, it's okay because this was not God's idea, okay? So don't put this on God. This is on Abram and Sarai. And so they do. They have a baby. Abram and Sarai, ha- or Abram and uh, Hagar have a baby. It works. She gives birth to a son, Abram's first son, Ishmael. I want to remind you, Ishmael was not God's plan. God reminds Abram that he was promised to have a son with Sarai, his wife. And this is when God's speaking to Abram that he changes his name to Abraham and changes his his wife's name to Sarah. And he reminds him, Abraham, Ishmael was created out of your impatience. Ishmael was not my plan. You stepped outside of the plan. And it's this conversation and this realization that is so heartbreaking for me. Because if you just think about what it must have been like to be Abraham. He believed in God's promise. He he set out. He became a nomad. He's seeking after God's blessing and purpose for his life. But he wants to fulfill it his way. So now he has a son. And that was not God's plan. And Abraham, he asks God, he begs him. He says, God, will you please bless Ishmael and make him the one that you're going to use to fulfill your covenant promise. If you'll just bless him, if you'll just use him. I know I made a mistake. I know I got impatient, but if you'll just use him. And God says, no, the boy will be blessed, but God's plan is going to be reserved for the one that he intended. And now Abraham lives with Ishmael. And he's a reminder to Abraham that he needs to simply trust in God's promise even when he doesn't know how it's going to work out. It's not Abraham's job to make God's promises come to fruition and and fulfill God's promises. God can fulfill his own promises. And for Abraham, he loved this boy Ishmael, but he must have been torn up inside because every time he looks at him, he remembers his failure. Now, on a side note, I love God's response to Ishmael. 
Because when Abraham begs him, please let, let him be the one, just use him. I know I made a mistake. He's, God says, I'm going to bless the boy. He does it. God is so good. I mean, this is a person we're talking about, Ishmael. But this is also a mess that's been created by Abraham. And God says, he is so good, he says that he'll bless the mess. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever created a mess in your life? And maybe God didn't save you from it, but he blessed you and it worked out. Have you ever created a mess and God worked it out for your good? Maybe you had to live with some of the consequences or maybe you had to live with some of the, the, the uh, results of that mess, but God took it and he blessed you in spite of it. God is so good. Well, coming back to Abraham, 14 years later, he's created Ishmael and 14 years later, Abraham is now 100 years old and Isaac is born. The son that was promised is finally born. But as you can imagine, Isaac is here, and now there's some conflict in the camp with Sarah, Isaac's mom, and Hagar, Ishmael's mom. As you can imagine, there's some fighting that's going on. And Isaac, he, he grows up a little bit. He gets weaned. He, he's maybe three years old, four years old. And Ishmael's a teenager. And Sarah catches him making fun of Isaac. He's a teenager. Believe me. This is what they do. But Sarah didn't like it. And so she goes full Karen on Hagar and Ishmael. And she demands that Abraham send Ishmael and Hagar away. She says, I want them out of here. Now again, stop just for a minute. And think about the pain that this must have caused both Abraham and Ishmael. Think about the pain in their heart. Abraham has raised this boy for maybe the last 17 to 19 years. He loves this boy. It's his son. He sends him away. Now, once again, this is harsh. And this is hard to read. And if you have a hard time with that, that's okay. But don't put this on God. Because the question of what to do with Ishmael, God was not consulted we don't read that Abraham or Sarah or Hagar or Ishmael ever go to God and say, what are, we, what are we gonna do with this? We don't know what God's direction would have been. And what I find so interesting is that Abraham and Sarah are doing the exact same thing that created Ishmael. They see God's promise. They know where God wants to take them. And now that they have Isaac, they think, well, what do we need Ishmael anymore? He's just going to be in the way of this promised son, Isaac. He's just going to cause problems for this promised son, Isaac. And so God must want us to get rid of this one so that we can focus on this one. They take, they take it in their own hands and try to fulfill God's promise instead of letting God take care of it. That breaks my heart because here they are doing the same thing again. And Ishmael is hurt because of it. Now, Abraham, he disowns his own son. And I, I just can't believe that. I can't imagine that. From Ishmael's perspective, Abraham, he lacked in the area of being a father. When it counted, Abraham wasn't there. 
But you know, where Abraham wasn't good for Ishmael, Ishmael learned that God is good because he was blessed by God. Ishmael had a, had a rough life from the start. I can't imagine the conflict that must have happened in that 19 years in the camp between Sarah and Hagar and his dad having to mediate all that, and it was all because of him. He had a rough life from the start. But you know, that doesn't mean that Isaac had it easy either. Let's talk about his, Abraham's relationship with his other son, Isaac, the chosen son, the promised son. You remember in Genesis 22? This is when Abraham hears from God and God tells him to go up to the mountain and take Isaac and to sacrifice Isaac on top of the mountain. Now, in this account, we see Abraham's great faith. He, he, he has learned in this time to trust God's goodness no matter what. Maybe he's finally learned the mistake of Ishmael. And he, he knows that even though he doesn't understand what God's doing, God is good and his promises can be trusted. And so when God speaks to him, he does it. I mean, this is what Isaac represents, that God is good and that he can be trusted no matter what. And Abraham doesn't question God at all. He gets up early the next morning and he goes and do, does what God says. And you may have heard this story before, but this morning I want to give you a little bit of extra context and a few extra things to think about this morning as we think about when, when Abraham took his son Isaac up to the mountain to be sacrificed. Now, it's unclear exactly how old Isaac was whenever Abraham took him up to the mountain. And um, I, I've preached this, this account many times, and, and it, it's unclear exactly how old he was. He's called a boy, but that doesn't necessarily mean he was a small child. The evidence suggests that he was at least a healthy teenager because he had to carry the wood up the mountain for the sacrifice. And let's not forget that he had to care for his elderly father all the way up the mountain, over 100 years old, okay? And so let's just say for the sake of argument that Isaac was somewhere between 17 and 19 years old. If you'll just grant me that, that presumption for just a moment this morning. You remember how old Ishmael was when he was sent away? He was between 17 and 19 years old. Abraham sends his first son away at possibly, if you'll just bear with me a moment, possibly the exact same age that now he intends to sacrifice his chosen son. I mean, that blew me away as I was reading that again this week. That he lost one son as a teenager. And now at this moment when God speaks to him, he's about to lose another. And to be fair, in Scripture, it teaches us that Abraham had such faith and such trust in God that he believed that even if he sacrificed Isaac to God, God would raise him back up from the dead. I mean, this is one of the reasons we call him the father of faith. He had great faith. But it still had to have occurred to Abraham that at possibly the same age, he was going to lose two boys. Now think about what Isaac's reaction must have been to all this. As they're going up the mountain, they, he knew, he caught on pretty early. Hey, wh where's the sacrifice? We're going up to sacrifice, but where's the sacrifice? And dad just says, oh, don't worry, God's going to provide. He had to have raised an eyebrow and caught on to something. But it makes me wonder, was Isaac on board with the sacrificial plan? Did he catch on that, oh, it, it's me. I'm going to be the one sacrificed. And was he on board? Did he willingly say, okay, dad, tie me up and put me on the altar? He was tied up, and I think that... In effect, shows that he was not on board. 
He had to be subdued to be put on the altar. I've got a hard time believing he was on board with this. And so Abraham must have used all of his old man's strength to grab this boy and to tie him up <laughs> and to put him on the altar. In that moment, what, what's Isaac thinking? What's he saying? How did this affect their relationship? I guarantee you Isaac remembered this for the rest of his life. So Abraham goes and he takes the knife and he raises it up. Maybe you've heard it before. At the last moment, God says, wait, stop. And God provides a sacrifice. There's a ram caught in the thicket. He says, go, take the ram. He provides a sacrifice because God is good. God is the good father that even our father of faith couldn't be. And that's the second father we want to talk about today. Our heavenly father. He is our creator. He created everything and he called it good. Because he is good. He knows what good is. I want to tell you that the enemy wants you to doubt God's goodness. The very first temptation in the Garden of Eden was getting Eve to doubt God's goodness. Did God really say, no, he just wants to hold back from you? And we bought into the doubt. We bought into the lie. And we sinned. And Adam and Eve, they failed. They fell. But listen to this. Just as Ishmael was the constant reminder to Abraham of Abraham's failure, we can remind God that we are a failure as his creation. We sinned. We failed. In fact, we can be so evil as the human race that at one time God said he was sorry that he made us. Because of our own wickedness, God was sorry that he made us. That is heartbreaking because at one time God called us good. Just with all creation, he said we were good. And we fell to the point where he says, I'm sorry that I made them. That's a huge fall. For Abraham, when he looked at the failure that was Ishmael. Now, Ishmael's not the failure, but he represents the failure of Abraham. When he looked at that, when he looked at that boy and saw his own failure, ultimately he sends Ishmael away. Can't even look at him anymore. God decides to do what Abraham did not have the ability to do. God does not send us away because of our failure. In fact, he wants to pull us close. God wants to redeem his kids. The same heavenly father who sent the ram to Abraham and Isaac in the thicket to be the sacrifice in Isaac's place now sends his son, Jesus, to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is both the proclaimer and the proof that God is good. The goodness of God is real and can be trusted. See, both Isaac and Jesus, they represent the truth that God can be trusted in his goodness. Why? Because our heavenly father is good and he loves you. Jesus, he taught this. He proclaimed this. He was the proof of this. One account that Jesus taught this happened as almost a side note 
when a man came up to Jesus with a question. In Mark chapter 10, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to Jesus and he knelt down and probably out of breath, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's Jesus' response? Why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. And I'm going to stop it right there. He has more to say, but he, he starts out this conversation with this exhausted man. And, and I don't want you to miss it because he, he's, there's a lot going on. He stops for a minute and proclaims that only God is truly good. And that is true and that is powerful. Because sometimes I think we fall into doubting God's goodness too easily. Jesus tells us that our heavenly father is the only good thing in the entire universe. The only thing that is truly good is our heavenly father. Even my own understanding of what good is, is not good enough to describe God. God loves us and he is good. And then second, have you ever wondered why Jesus asks this question, why do you call me good? It seems a little odd if you, if you think about it. This question isn't about God's goodness. He's asking, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, hold on a second. You just called me good teacher. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. See, is it, Jesus is, is questioning this label as if it was incorrect. But the guy's right. He's right to call Jesus good because God is good and the Father and Son are one. So if God is good, Jesus is too. Jesus is good. I truly believe that what Jesus is doing here is subtly trying to let this rich man know the biggest secret in the world. Jesus, in a tongue-in-cheek way, was telling this rich man that he is, in fact, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And you are right to call him good. I think Jesus was seeding this conversation at the very beginning to open a great opportunity for this man. We, we're going to see where it goes. And because of where it goes, I think that's why he called out this adjective, good, and asked him, why do you call me good? It's only God that's good because he wanted him to connect the dots. So he goes on, he says, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. In verse 21, looking at the man, he felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus gave this rich man an opportunity that few had. He gave this rich man an opportunity to be the 13th disciple. Now, I don't think this was a planned gotcha moment for this rich man. I don't think that this rich man came running up to Jesus and Jesus saw in his heart and said, I know the thing that you're holding back from God and I'm going to call it out because I'm going to embarrass you in front of everybody. I don't think that's what was happening at all. 
I think what was happening was that Jesus was rooting for this man. Look at verse 21 again. It, said, it doesn't say that he felt pity for the man. And I think that's the emotion that you would feel if you know someone's going to reject the offer you're about to give them. This really good offer. No, it says he felt genuine love for him. I think that Jesus loved this man so much that he was hoping against all hope that this rich man would love God more than he loved his stuff. And I think he wanted to bring this rich man and make him a disciple and include him in a movement that was going to change history forever. And he based all of this on the fact that he is good and God is good and he loves us. He was hoping with love and goodness this man could let go of what he was holding on to so tightly. Jesus proclaimed and he proved that our Heavenly Father is good and he loves us. He proved it every day with every teaching, with every miracle, and he proved it on the cross. He proved that God is good and that he loves us. And here's why this is so important for us today. I said it earlier, it has been a strategy of the devil ever since creation to continue, convince us to doubt God's goodness. When the world seems like it has gone crazy, you might hear the enemy start to whisper in your ear, where is your God? Does he even care? Why doesn't God do something? How can God just let these things happen? He might say, if God doesn't stop it, is he complicit? And from there, when he's whispering these things, it's not long. If you're listening, it's not long until he starts to whisper, is God even real? If the enemy can make us doubt God's goodness, if God isn't good, then God can't be trusted. And if God can't be trusted, then we don't need him. It is a trap. It is a logical fallacy. And it starts with a seed of a thought. Is God good? Church, we need to trust in the goodness of your heavenly father. Even when we look around and we see the world and we watch the news and things don't make sense. It is core to our understanding of who God is that he is good and he loves us. If the enemy can steal this from us, if we can lose this firm footing of trust in God's goodness, then our faith will always be weak. Our faith will be shaken. It will waver. It will shift. It will be choked out. But... If we can trust in the goodness of our Heavenly Father, then that goodness can be spiritually transplanted onto us as well. We can carry God's goodness as a fruit of the Spirit and spread His goodness all over the world. There was a time when God looked at the world and called it good. And yes, it has fallen a long way since then, but maybe we can bring some good back into this world with His help. Maybe the world can know that God is good 
and that he loves us. We carry it, we share it, and we let it shine. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Today, if you want to experience God's love and his goodness, I've got an invitation for you. The greatest act of love and goodness in all of human history was when Jesus gave himself to be sacrificed on a cross. God, Jesus paid the consequences for all your sins and all your mistakes and all the things you've ever done where you've fallen short. All we have to do to accept that forgiveness is accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He died because the price of sin is death. And so he took our place so that we didn't have to. And to prove that everything he said was true and right and that he was the Son of God, three days later he rose again. So this morning, if you would like to put your trust in that love and that goodness, if you would like to ask Jesus to come in, to transform you, to forgive you, to make you new, and for him to be your Lord and Savior, if there's anyone in this room who'd like to do that this morning, just raise your hand, and I want to lead you in a prayer. Maybe you're online, and you've raised your hand, or maybe you raised your hand in this room, I want you to... Just repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I have made mistakes. I am a sinner. Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Please take them away. Jesus, please wash me clean. Help me be a new person. Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. I believe in you. I believe you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. I believe you rose again. So help me follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. For everybody else today, maybe you're in this place and these last months have not been easy. Or maybe just this last day, something has come up and it's just seemed it has knocked your feet out from under you. You're struggling. Maybe you're online. Maybe you could not get out of your house because you are struggling so much. If today you need a special outpouring of God's goodness and his love on you, if you need God to move in your life to help stand you back up, to strengthen you, I want to pray for you today. The second thing I want to pray for is this. Maybe you've been inspired today and you want to see this world become a little bit more good again. You want to see God's goodness fill you, shine through you, flow out of you, and impact this world. Everywhere you go, every situation you find yourself in, every relationship you have, you want to be a conduit of God's love and goodness into this world. I want to pray for you. So if that's you, if one of those things impact you. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Just raise your hand. I'm raising mine right now. And let's pray. Dear Jesus, first of all, I pray for those that are struggling this morning. I pray for those with needs. I pray that you will do what only you can do. I pray that you will intervene on our behalf. You will move in our situations. You will make the crooked path straight. I pray that you will help us, give us strength and endurance and boldness and confidence to carry on. God, I pray, I pray that you will comfort those that are hurting. And Lord, I pray for those of us who want to be used by you, who desire to see you move 
through us. Help us be a genuine display of your love. Help us learn what that looks like more and more. To love and to bring your goodness into this world. Help us, Lord, to be your representatives, to be your ambassadors. And to help this world, which is so fallen and so dark, have some goodness and have some light. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Well, if you are with us here this morning or you're online and you gave your heart to Jesus, you accepted him as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to text us at this number, 951-331-5167. Just let us know. Just say, I choose Christ. Just do that because we want to walk with you. We don't want you to go this journey alone. We want to give you resources and we want to be a spiritual family to you. Also, if you raised your hand and said you're going through some stuff and you've got some things you need prayer for, please text us at that same number. Let us know. Help us direct our prayers. We pray for you, church. But I'm telling you, when we know what to pray, it helps us pray. Helps us ask and be specific that God move on your behalf and help you in your situation. So please text us and let us know. Well, this morning, as I said, it's not back to normal yet, unfortunately. And so we'll need to stagger as we leave. I'll pray a prayer of blessing on you. And then if you'll give me a moment to move to the back, I want to greet you as you leave. But please just allow the the back rows to go first and then filter out as we need to. And uh, let's continue to respect the governing authorities and and represent Jesus in that way. Let's, Let's make him proud. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray your blessings over us today. On this Father's Day, I pray as we look at our Heavenly Father and as you are good and you love unconditionally, Lord, I pray that we will be inspired to follow suit, that we will be good to our kids and that we will love them. Lord, help us represent you in this way. I pray blessings on this Father's Day. Whatever it looks like, even though it's not the same, whether they're bringing meals into the home or making a meal or just doing something fun, I pray that you bless these fathers as we honor them today. In Jesus' mighty name.